Protein is going to be unique from carbohydrate and fat. It's going to be the only macronutrient that contains nitrogen. This is going to be critical to blood clotting, fluid balance, hormone and enzyme production, as well as immune function. What you need to know is that the body will generate the specific proteins that it needs for specific functions. So when you eat protein, you're really eating a source of amino acids. Your body will use them to build what it needs. Back in 2000, the typical American diet was roughly 16% uh, total energy intake for men was protein, and 15% of women's total energy intake was protein. Right now, the typical young adult consumes about 90 grams per day. Remember, you'll need to know what the acceptable macronutrient distribution range for protein is. You can pause this to look at this uh, chart on protein content. Your book also gives some figures as well. Um, typically, we're talking about protein coming from animal sources, but of course, it can also come from plant sources. If you look at this, roughly an egg is uh, 7 to 8 grams of protein, where 3 ounces of meat will give you greater than 20 grams per protein. of protein. Most plants have less than 3 grams per ounce. So 6 to 10 grams per half a cup of legumes or lentils, 5 to 10 grams for half a cup of nuts and seeds, 2 to 3 grams for half a cup of grains, rice, and pasta. So obviously you're getting more protein from animal sources, but it doesn't mean you can't get protein from a plant source. Well, proteins are made up of amino acids, and we talked about amino acids during digestion, but not necessarily their makeup. Basically, an amino acid is the carbon with, with four groups attached. Every amino acid has the amino group, the hydrogen, the acid group, and it's the R group or that side chain that makes each one different. If you look at this figure here, once this nitrogen group is removed, the remainder can be called the carbon skeleton, and we'll discuss what can happen to that carbon skeleton as well as the amino group later. This is just to make the point that the side chain makes each amino acid different. So if you look at these four, everything is identical except that white box. So the simplest amino acid will be glycine, which is to put a hydrogen there. Then you have alanine, aspartic acid, and phenylalanine. We've already talked about aspartic acid and phenylalanine, and you should know what those two things come together to make. Here we have to classify our amino acids. We have essential and non-essential. Um, essential can also be called indispensable. They cannot be made by the body or they cannot be made in sufficient quantities. And if the diet is deficient, new proteins that contain them cannot be made. Um, or your body's going to have to break down other proteins to get those. These include the branch chain amino acids, uh, which would be leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Non-essential amino acids can be called dispensable, and that means they can be made by the body. The process of making a dispensable amino acid is called transamination. Back to this idea of conditionally essential. You should know what this is by now, but it's essential only under certain conditions. So for example, tyrosine is non-essential, which means it can be made by the body, but to make it, you must have the essential amino acid phenylalanine. So your book gives the example for those people who have PKU, 
which we've already discussed. They cannot eat phenylalanine. Therefore, they cannot make tyrosine. That makes tyrosine now essential to them. We also have this idea of a limiting amino acid. So shortage of one amino acid can stop protein synthesis. If that missing amino acid is non-essential, your body can make it. So it really doesn't limit you. If that missing amino acid is essential, protein synthesis will either stop or your body will have to break itself down to get that specific amino acid. So the limiting amino acid is the essential amino acid present in the shortest supply relative to its need. There's two major functions of protein in your diet. One is to provide these nine essential amino acids so we can build things. And the second is to provide nitrogen um, for various functions. Typically, your, your diet will be balanced and you'll, you'll get both essential and non-essential. But protein quality matters. So if we look at animal protein, animal protein is considered complete or high quality. That means it has all nine essential amino acids. The one exception is gelatin because that is an animal source and that means one amino acid has been lost in the processing. Plant protein is considered incomplete or low quality. That means it's missing at least one essential amino acid. The exceptions would be soy or quinoa. Those would be complete. In terms of protein organization, you know we're linking amino acids together to form a peptide bond. So two amino acids together is a dipeptide, three amino acids is a tripeptide, and we discuss those things in digestion. We then have an oligopeptide, which is greater than three amino acids but less than 50, and 50 to 100 is considered a polypeptide. So a protein is really one or more polypeptide chains linked together. So a protein is at least 100 amino acids long. We've discussed the shape of a protein already in terms of digestion. The shape is twisted and tangled, um, and, and it, the shape will actually dictate this protein's function. The shape is also dictated by the order of the amino acids. So if I were to change one amino acid in this chain, it would change the shape. If I change the shape, I can change or destroy the function. This is one example of shape dictating function. If I change one amino acid in hemoglobin, I will change its shape. Um, that distorted red blood cell now has a sickle-celled shape. It can cause inflammation, rupture easily, lead to anemia, and can actually block capillaries. And that's simply due to one amino acid being out of order. You should be able to come up with other examples in the body of how shape dictates function and maybe how something is destroyed when it's unraveled. To change the structure we have to change the shape and we know that comes with denaturing. We talked about that in digestion with this idea of uh, hydrochloric acid in the stomach denaturing protein. Other things that can do that would be heat, um, whipping, or alcohol and your book gives an example of how a whipping would denature a protein. Your book also gives the example of an egg. If I take a, a raw egg and I crack it to make it sunny side up, the outside is white, clear, 
kind of semi-liquid. Heat will denature that protein and it changes that outside of that egg to look white and solid and it cannot go back to its original shape. So cooking will actually denature that egg and change its physical function. And that's okay. You have to remember, we don't need the proteins as we eat them. We need the amino acids that make up the proteins. Make sure you understand these basic concepts and we will continue on uh, with this lecture in class.